The Dark Word is a podcast about writing, writers, and those who read those writers. The goal of this podcast is to focus on the profession of writing, whether it be the creative process, the business side of things, or simply offering advice on how to be a pro. We'll be hearing from some of the best in the business over the upcoming episodes. And true to our name, The Dark Word focuses on writers who tend to hang out in the shadowy side of the room. These are the names you think of when you hear horror, suspense, noir. The names who have chilled you and thrilled you. So follow me down this dark hallway, because there's someone I'm dying for you to meet. Dying for you to meet. Dying for you to meet. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of The Dark Word. I'm so excited to be coming back for another season. Uh, this will be the first episode, and I have some amazing guests lined up uh, over the upcoming week, so please follow on Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, with me today is my good friend, Josh Mallorin. Josh is a New York Times bestselling author. He's one of two singer-songwriters for the rock band The High Strung, his debut novel, Bird Box, was the inspiration for the hit Netflix film. And his other novels include Unburied Carol and Inspection and a bunch of others that you should read like Pearl and the upcoming Daphne. Uh, he lives in Michigan with his fiance, the artist music- musician, Allison Laco. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Josh, welcome, buddy. Philip, hello. Hi. <laughs> I am really excited to be here. Oh, my God. I know. Amazing. Amazing what you've been doing, and I am glad to be part of it. Yeah, dude, you're my kickoff. You're my kickoff guest for season two. So, awesome. It's, it's, a, it's pretty exciting. I, I, I got Chuck Wendig coming up. I got oh, uh, Thomas Olda Holvelt coming up. Catriona Ward coming up. So anyway, yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great guests coming. Uh, but yeah, so let's get into it because uh, there's a lot of folks listening to this podcast and a lot of writers who are searching for answers and who want to know you know, the inside scoop on a lot of stuff. And where I want to start with you, sir, is I'm going to take you back in time to Christmas day, <laughs> 2000. I don't know what year it was, 2018, 2019, when, when we were hanging out at your house and uh, we, uh, we opened up the sacred, the sacred manuscript chest. And I believe there's two sacred manuscript chests mm-hmm. and which is uh, which is a chest of all of the novels that you have written and had written if, correct me if I'm wrong, before Bird Box, your first novel was even sold. And what I, what I think is really important for people to hear, because what was so impressive about that to me, is that you were doing all that work with really no set outlet. You didn't know you know, what was going to happen in the future. You didn't have a magic ball that, to foresee all the success with Bird Box and everything, but you put out you wrote a lot of content, a ton of content. I think it's like 30 plus novels. And, and, and before you answer, I want to say, I was talking to Victor Laval and he said something uh, very interesting, which I think is appropriate to this, where he was like, you have to always be writing for you and you have to be writing when you don't know, you know, when you're not writing for something that you've already sold, you have to be writing it for you. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit. How did you, what was your mindset when you were writing all those novels and how did you keep inspired to keep doing all that work when you when you weren't even sure if any of it would ever see the light of day outside of yourself and your loved ones, as it were. Well, I mean, it almost, gosh, it almost reads as like delusional in hindsight, right? Because I, 
Oh, okay, between ages like 19 and 29, I tried and failed. And the only thing I ever mean by failed is that I didn't finish one. Um, uh, if you wrote a bad book, great. Uh, you can fix it later. Or uh, maybe that's all you ever do with it. But hey, you still wrote a book. And that in and of itself is an accomplishment. So it was never about how good or bad they were. But I couldn't finish one. And, and that was the first 10 years sort of 10 year war I had with it. Then at, at some point, the band is on the road. Uh, our, my band is called The High Strung. We've been best friends since we were like 11 years old. And, and in our mid to late 20s, we kind of we hit the road. stayed on the road for like seven years but there was there was about a two-month window in there and we were in Michigan and we didn't have apartments back then so everyone's kind of staying with their families or whatever and there was an all-night coffee shop near uh, my father's house and I would go there at midnight till 4 a.m. and I told myself and this might be interesting to a writer I told myself hey you know what I haven't been able to finish one. I'm gonna write two at once I get stuck in one I'll turn to the other when I get stuck there, I'll turn back to the first. I'll ping pong my way to finishing a novel for the first time in my life. So I started the first one, and it was sort of a lofty idea. I got stuck on like page two, and I turned. <laughs> and I turned. Yeah, I, I even remember. I remember being like, "Oh man, I'm already stuck." And I right. turned uh, the other one, and it was just this real, just absolute psychosexual horror novel about a witch in the woods and all this. Right. And I turned that one, and just exploded through it um i remember reaching page 300 and knowing what the ending was and it was the first time i ever had that feeling i literally stood up in this coffee shop uh uh, uh you know like i was like i was almost um like the hair on my arms like standing up i was like so it's like three in the morning and i'm like looking down at the, it was handwritten i'm looking at the stack of pages like oh my god oh my god i'm gonna finish i'm gonna finish oh my god and honestly philip I, sometimes i think that i'm like still in that moment now. I think I'm still standing up in that coffee shop now, still looking down at this stack of pages and the feeling from that was like enough fuel to fuel like everything that has happened since. So Wendy was the first, it was the breakthrough novel, um, finished that rough draft. And then it's been, the, you know, once the gates were open, it's been 36 books since then. But a little more to the point of what you're saying, I had written some 14 before Bird Box comes out, but remember, so I'm in the van with my bandmates, and we're, you know, we're only playing for 20 people a night or something like that, but I mean, this was the greatest experience you can imagine. You're traveling the country with your best friends. You're drinking every night. You're meeting new people. We're playing your music, right? And I was writing novels either when we were, you know, had a break or uh, in the passenger seat of, the, of, the, of our, our tour bus and tour van. So the, the stack of rough drafts is growing. And I didn't, I never, first of all, I never looked at this like there was, like it was a hobby. I was always from mm -hmm. the start, this is serious. This is not, I'm not like just tooling around here. Like I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do something great here. Now, what to do with those? Well, I feel like there was some sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, when you interact with an audience, there was some reaction because in my, artistically in my life from the band, and I guess, in a sense, I wonder if that made me patient on the book side because I was having instant gratification every night playing songs and then I'd be writing the books. And what are you going right. to do with these? Gosh, what are you going to do with these? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And that pile got up to some, to some 14 novels, I think, before. If Bird Box came out in 14, 
Um, I think the number was closer to 20 by the time Bird Box came out. Yeah. And it's amazing because, you know, that part of what you're saying too is like writing when you can. And, and you were writing a lot of that stuff. I think you said you wrote a lot of that stuff longhand initially. And then you just like yeah. later when you, um, and I think that's, and I thought what you said that, that kind of stuck with me just in that came out of that is that you said it was never a hobby and you always had that confidence and belief that it was something that was something that you were taking very seriously and that you saw as, you know, like to your point, uh, uh, you know, more than a hobby, like something that you wanted to sell and, and become a professional, you know, at in the, in the, in the true sense of the word. And I, and I think that's really inspirational and it's, and it, what happens when, you know, you get into those situations, a lot of writers and, you know, to your earliest, earlier point, they start something and they kind of get frustrated or they get sidetracked or they lose interest. And I think that's really fascinating that you kind of started with that. Like, I'm going to start right. Even though one novel sort of fell apart early on that kind of like, I'm going to bounce back and forth and just keep that way. I'm kind of keep fresh and keep writing. And it, the question I have coming out of that is, and I think you and I've discussed this before, but is, so is everything you do is pretty much, um, uh, you're doing it real time. In other words, you said, you know, you said you didn't know the ending of the one novel till you were on page 300. Is that still the way you work today? Is it still like you just start and you kind of see where the story takes you or do you have, you know, now do you do work more with like a structure? So, you know, when you're writing novels, like how, how are you writing? How does, how are you, how is how you, what you were doing then compared to how you are writing things now in that well, sense? Great question. Um, Cause you would imagine that something like that might evolve um, over, over the course of 36 novels, right? The only one I ever outlined was Ghoul in the Cape. And it, and it may sound almost counterintuitive if you had read that novel verse. Right. Or something as Bird Box seems very tight and, and, and seems like it's going from A to B intentionally. Whereas Ghoul in the Cape feels like a band that's just sort of jamming. But Ghoul in the Cape was actually completely outlined. And the reason why is that that's for a listener, that book is 300,000 words. It's an absolute beast. And I understood that if I was going to, you know, that this undertaking was going to require scaffolding. Like right. I, I couldn't just blindly, you know, wait, what if you get stuck 60,000 words into a story like that? Right. So, and also almost counterintuitively, um, or it may seem so, I only wrote intentionally a thousand words a day to, um, uh, so that I wouldn't run out of gas. So, so like Interesting. With, with Bird Box, it was like 4,300 a day, but it was written in 26 days. The rough draft was like 113,000. At the end of that, I was spent, 100% spent. So how would you maintain that for 300,000? Well, you're going to have to run a couple miles less per day to maintain this. And, and so the process has changed. There is no uniformity um, between books, but within books, it's totally uniform. Like... Every day with Bird Box, woke up at seven, uh, started, made coffee, sat down by eight, was done writing 11.30 to noon, went about my day. By the time I went to sleep, I had a sense of what I was going to write the next morning. It was like that every single day without fail. The, uh, the book I just wrote, Incidents Around the House, was an evening book. Every time, put on the same album, sit down around eight, nine at night. Uh, the sun's starting to go down as I'm writing, gets darker in the office as I'm writing the entire novel done that way. Uh, one book was done 500 words a day, um, another 5,300 words a day. So uniform within themselves, but not uniform throughout. And what I think that does, I think that, and this is 
again, for, for writers. What I think that does is, is twofold. Number one, by varying up the process in each novel, you're sort of, I don't know if you're guaranteeing, but you're giving yourself a fighting chance of each book feeling or having a slightly different voice from each other. Mm -hmm. And another thing you're doing, if you keep the uniformity within the book, is you're giving yourself the structure to actually get this done. If I do a thousand a day, man, maybe in three months, this will, well, it will be finished if you actually do it every day, that kind of thing. So that, that for me has been the, the, the variety between books has been key to me because I am someone who values, you know, not to a fault, but I am someone who values like that this book isn't, that I'm not writing the same book twice. Yeah. And is that something you predetermine? So, or is that something you kind of get a feel for as you begin the process and you're like, you know what? I think I like the way this is going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to repeat this every day until the book is done. Cause I, I like the, I like the groove I'm in right now. I like the way this feels. Or is it something you predetermine when you go into writing a book because you kind of know the kind of book it's going to be? That's a, Philip, that is such a good question. And I, I've never considered that before. So I guess that would mean it's not predetermined because, because if you take something like Bird Box, you would imagine that's a, that's a pretty cold, straight shot, almost like a black and white one note on the organ shot, right? So you might think that one was a nighttime book, but it wasn't. So so I don't, I think it has more to do with the first two or three days, and you'll relate to this for sure. The first two or three days that you're working, you did it at, from noon to four for whatever reason, whatever else is going on in your life. And so then this is what you're doing every day around noon is when you're working on it. Right. Because you're feeling it. It works. Like sometimes it's just, and I think you said this and it, it's, it sounds a little, I don't know, it sounds a little artsy, but, but, to add, but the reality is, and you said this, uh, is the same music. And I've had that, um, I've had that happen with me, which is when I find, um, a type of music that works for what I'm writing it, for whatever reason, whatever it's doing to my brain is like in line with what I'm putting on the page. That is the music I listen to every time. And I like, I wrote, um, you know, one of my novels to the soundtrack uh, for the, the Christopher Nolan movie, the, I can't remember the name of it now, the, the, the war movie. Um, oh. And you know what movie I'm talking about? Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Thank you. I wrote like an entire novel to Dunkirk and that was the only music I listened to the entire time I was writing. I think it was boys in the Valley. And, um, and so I've had similar experiences where it's like, Hey, this is what feels right. And this is what I'm sticking with. Um, and so anyway, I think that's, I think that's a really fascinating thing is establish a routine and, and continue their routine. And I think for people who have a lot of things going on, you've got a day job, you've got kids, you've got whatever. It also is a nice way to kind of like create a schedule, which is like, okay, well from 7 PM to 9 PM, that's my, that's my me time. That's my book writing time, my story writing time. And I can make that work every day because it works with the schedule of everything else I have going on. So I think that's a really interesting uh, approach. And so I want to talk to you about, let's talk about a little bit about editing and because you've, I've seen some, um, some, some comments you've made on Twitter and, and, and we've talked about a little bit as well, you and I, for each book, do you find just like with writing the book, do you find the editing process varies? Cause I remember, for example, I remember you commenting on Joe Lansdale had to kind of, uh, talk about his editing process. And I think you, I think you kind of like, 
went with that for a book or a story and you kind of, and you were saying to Joe how much, you know, how you thought it was pretty, a pretty interesting way to, to edit. Whereas like, or, so how do you edit a book? Do you, do you go, do you still do that? Do you do it for different for every book? Are you, are you stopping at the end of every session and going back and reworking it? Or are you, go, or are you just like barreling through to the end and then going back to page one? What's your typical process or how has that evolved? Well, the typical process is definitely barrel through and go back. And one, and I was just talking to Linda Addison about this in person the other day mm-hmm. about how, um, like, you know, someone asks, "Have you gotten better as a writer?" Right? And 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 the question isn't really like, "Is are the books you're writing now better than the books you wrote before?" But it's almost like, "Are those first drafts better? Are are like, are you start are you starting at a place where?" you already know some of the pratfalls. You already know some of the mistakes you've made before. You already understand you may as well take care of this business right now because you're going to have to clean it up later, right? Right. So a lot, of, a lot of the first drafts have become just sort of naturally stronger. But I did the Lansdale thing. And for listeners, the Lansdale thing is essentially you're, you're just using one draft throughout. That means you're editing as you go. Uh, you know, write today, tomorrow you edit today's and then you write the next one. The next day you edit, you, you, you get... Uh, and so forth. And I did two of uh, two books like that. I did Mallory and Carpenter's Farm, but Carpenter's Farm is an odd one because I posted it as I went, but still I was, I was checking it as I went. So, and I love them both and I had a great time with both, Mm -hmm. but then I, that was it. Gone some four or five books since, and, and I still, now I'm, now, now I'm creating the same problems for myself that I used to, which is like, Oh man, I don't know about you, Philip, but it's only there's only like a couple for me because most of the drafts are like serviceable, or you're like, okay, we were within range and we can make this better. But there are a couple where I've opened up and I'm like, oh my god, if if I was gonna put this book out, I literally would have to rewrite this from scratch. Right? You know? Yeah, there are a couple. But oddly though, and this is totally editorial, oddly, Bird Box I rewrote from scratch after it was already picked up from Harper Collins because. Their notes were so extensive. Yeah. And, okay, just, I'll give you the smallest example. In the rough draft had 14 housemates. The uh, final draft has seven. It was the editor, Lee Boudreaux's idea to scale that down so that we spend more time with each housemate. I liked the idea that we didn't get to know each of them. It was a colder sort of confusion in the house. But I understood what Lee was saying. I'm like, fine, let's do it. Problem is, if you're going to remove, let's just say, uh, Josh and Philip from the book, yeah, do you just as- ascribe their dialogue to someone else? Yeah, or- you're hitting a, you're hitting a domino, and that's what I call it in screenwriting. Is like you're, once you hit that first domino, you know, there's a lot more falling, and you have yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was a total ripple effect where I was like, you know what? Either I can force Philip and Josh's dialogue onto uh, Tom and Don, or I can just rewrite this scene. And it right. started to be like, well, I can rewrite this one too. And the beginning and this one, all except for the birth scene. I rewrote the whole thing from scratch to Lee's sort of like macro notes. So each you know, process has been different. I, got, I had the magical experience recently, which all of us are gunning for. And I've never had it before. I don't think I'll ever have it, have it again, where I sent Trisha the, it was essentially Lansdale the first um, draft of uh, Daphne and her response was like, this is, you know, aside from a couple of small things, this is good to go. Wow. And you, you know, as well as I do, that's like the dream scenario. You yeah. set out a book and you're like, 
you're like, maybe they'll write back that it's perfect. <laughs> uh, Trisha Narwani is Josh's editor at Delray. And yeah, dude, that's a, to your point. That's the dream, right? Like I remember when I said, um, when I submitted uh, Child Alone with Strangers to uh, my current agent, Elizabeth, three years ago, and her response was, I wouldn't change a word. And I was like, you're hired. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah, and, and there's other times where, oh, believe me, like every other time, I've sent something out and, you know, you're kind of strutting around town, like, just maybe, maybe I love it as it is. Right, and yeah. Back like, oh, you know, and then you got to rewrite it almost from scratch. So, but I'll tell you, like, something's happened where at first I sort of dreaded the edits, dreaded the rewrites, um, just the work of it, you know? Yeah. But man, you know, as well as I do, like, once you put a book out and, and you sort of experience the finality of that it's out, right? And then you understand that the edit and the rewrite is every single step you're doing is making the book better. Right. When you start seeing it that way, you're almost like grateful for every single step of the way, whether it's a note of someone else's or one of your own. And that's also something for maybe younger writers to, to keep in mind, that if somebody gives you like a harsh critique or, 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 or not even just a ton of notes, right? Rather than thinking like, oh my God, they hate the book, which, you know, I kind of felt that way at first too, you know? Um, they hate the book. Look at it like every single one of those notes, this book is going to get a little bit better with every single one of those notes. And when you accept that, it kind of, editing kind of becomes fun. Yeah, because it is making the book better. And I and I, remember, I had this discussion, I, I, I apologize, I can't remember which guest we were, I was talking to, but we talked about beta readers. And I know you don't you know use a lot of beta readers, but I think it goes to the same point. And I think one of the great things about notes, in addition to what you just said, is that depending on who the notes are coming from, um, you know, it's ultimately up to you what notes you accept and what notes you decline. And also notes can lead, even if you don't agree with the specific note, sometimes what somebody says to you can trigger a thought that will be like, well, okay, I don't really agree with exactly what you're saying, but you've made me realize that maybe this is, can be more clear, or maybe this could be, you know, done a little bit differently so that there isn't any misunderstanding or confusion or whatever that, or maybe it just sounds better, or maybe it reads faster or whatever the case might be. Um, Dude, I, let me tell you real fast. So I please, originally yeah. had sent, um, I sent Trisha a book of novellas called Spin a Black Yarn. Okay. And the, the opening song, oh, the opening novella was that. <laughs> the opening, the lead off track was that. Right. No, I like it. Yeah, I like it. And Trisha wrote me back. She's like, this, this should be your next novel. And I was like, <laughs> oh, what? Daphne, this one, you know, I just thought it was a sweet ass opener to a book of novellas. So I kind of asked her, I'm like, well, what do you vision? She told me how she saw that could happen. I implemented those changes or, or her ideas really. I mean, it was really just expand a little bit here, a little bit here. Yeah. And all of a sudden it went from novella to novel without like anything changing in the story at all, without adding characters, without ballooning anything, without right. stretching anything. And so these are those moments where, and, and Lee with, um, with Bird Box, these are those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I have an editor. And, and it's like you said, it depends who the notes are coming from, right? Because, right. because who knows? If I had handed Daphne to the wrong person, you, you get notes. But again, it is up to you. And it's important for new uh, writers to, to be aware of that. But can I say one thing about that real fast? Is that the notes that I would worry about 
are the ones that would compromise the essence or or the the internal the theme the message of your book so it, it, you know uh lee telling me to scale back on the housemates and bird box fine if she had said i don't think they should be blindfolded now we're talking about a different book see what i mean right yes so to me so long as the notes don't compromise or infiltrate the actual nugget the conceit the essence of the book consider those notes Right. And the, and the reality is, and this is why you can't take every note as gospel is because it's go to, go to Amazon and look at, look at a, look at a, any book and see how many one-star reviews there are and see how many five-star reviews there are. Everybody has a different experience with the book. Everybody has a different take. It's like, it's like, it's like a song or a piece of art. I say this, I say this almost every show. It's all subjective. So if you, if you try and take everybody's notes and <laughs> apply them to your book, you're going to go insane because, because not everyone's notes are going to agree. I've had people say, this is my favorite scene in the novel. And I've had other people say, this is my least favorite scene in the novel. And it's the same scene. And I want to mention this quick, because I don't want to forget to say it. Uh, if you have not read Bird Box, A, read it because it's a masterclass in writing a supernatural thriller, high concept thriller. But also, Josh, you mentioned the birth scene. And the birth scene in Bird Box is still, to this day, probably one of my favorite scenes in any uh, novel I've ever read. It is a heart racing <laughs> white knuckle. I think it's like a perfectly written uh, scene of terror and tension. And it's, it's and anyone should go read that scene and learn how to write a great, a great scene of horror, because that is a, that's one of them right there. I, man, thank you. Phil, Phil wait, I, I wanted to say something real fast. Cause this Please, is no, I'm, that's why you're, yeah, go ahead. What you just said. Um, uh, this is, you just came up with a good story idea. If like a character that is writing a book, but is taking all the notes from both sides. So in, in, in the end, it's just a stack of blank pages. <laughs> <laughs> right. Either that or they're in an insane asylum pounding their head against the wall. I wrote yet, nothing and it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. And, and to the point about, uh, um, cause I want to make sure we touch on that. You know, Trisha's saying expanding a novel, novella to a novel. That's exactly what happened with, um, my novel Gothic, which is, it was a novella. And I gave it to my agent at the time, uh, previous agent, and she said this should be a novel. And it, and what we added wasn't, to your point, it wasn't a fluff. And I only bring that up not to say, and me too. I'm bringing it up because I think it's important for writers to know, like, hey, sometimes that short story, sometimes you can, sometimes there's a lot there, uh, a lot more there that you can dig out. And, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's not necessarily backstory, but maybe there's more to the story that will, that, that will not um balloon it to your to your user term but will actually make it um a better story and a, and, a, and, a, and a better experience for for a reader can i ask you ha had you glimpsed gothic that way or was it solely on their suggestion that brought that to your attention well part of it was that it was a forty-four thousand word no <laughs> novella so it wasn't like it was, it was like a, i wasn't at eighteen thousand words and stretching it to 80 yeah so that was part of it and um but no, there was, it was that it was, I kind of wanted, you know, I always, I always bash Cujo and I apologize because I love Stephen King, uh, but I always bash Cujo because Cujo to me is uh, a novella uh, written in novel form. Like I don't need, there was so much about serial in Cujo and it made me crazy because I don't, I didn't care about serial. I didn't care about the cereal company, the guy's job at the cereal company, what was happening to people who were eating the cereal. It was just felt like it was so much filler in that novel and i i believe cujo would have been a great novella and i just think um i think so sometimes it can kind of go 
backwards on you. But I think sometimes there is more story. And I think with like for Gothic, for example, there was a historical context to the uh, to the the villain, which is this haunted desk that I that I that I hinted at, but I never really expanded on. So I really expanded on a lot of that backstory of the, of the history of the desk and that kind of stuff. So um, and it was and I think it made it a better novel because people who have read it have been like, now I understand more of the motivation for why it's doing what it's doing. Well, it, you know, it, it, what a thing, like imagine speaking to like a first time writer or just a, or a non writer at all. And saying that like, you know, Trisha or your editor, like pointed or your agent pointed out on um, that this could be a novel, but like you hadn't seen that yourself. No, I hadn't seen that myself. Right. They would almost be like, how could you not have seen it? If they saw it, it's because I went into it or often we go into it. Like this is a short story. This is a novella. This right. is a novel. And, and first of all, I've probably written one, at least one novel that maybe could have been a, a short story, right? So, so you can look at it like both sides of that too. And it, it's just, it's just underscoring again, like being, being elastic, being loose about the notes you receive, about yeah. uh, the process, uh, maybe shake it up between books. Um, and even about your own expectations. I'm writing a short story. Well, maybe you're not. And maybe that's exciting. Maybe it's a lot bigger than that. Yeah. And that, you know, sometimes that happens is you're just like, I mean, sometimes I sit down to write a 3,500 word story and I end up with a 22,000 word novella. Like yeah. that's what happened with Commodore. So it does happen. Hey, okay. So I want to get to a couple quick things before we have to cut it off. I want to talk, I want you to talk a little bit, because um, if you don't mind, because you started it at Echo. And the, I think your first two books came out through Echo and a, a Bird Box and Black Band Wheel. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, I know, but you're, the situation became, I think, that your editor moved. And so did you move with your editor or how did that happen? How did you end up going from Echo to Del Rey? Because I think it's an interesting publishing story. So Lee Boudreaux, Lee Boudreaux edited Bird Box. Um, oh my gosh, was she good. She was absolutely phenomenal. And then... You know, I had signed a two-book deal with them already, and Lee left. She she was incredible. It was like she she got her own imprint at Little Brown, and and she was just one of those people that you knew that was coming for her, and and your window with her was going to be short, right? Yeah. So, um, Echo actually contacted me, and they were like, "We understand that you signed with Lee for two books. If because she's leaving, if you don't feel comfortable doing book two with us, like we we can work this out." And I was like, uh, no, who knows? Maybe the next editor will be like the greatest thing ever, right? Who knows? Right. So like, no, let's, let's stick it out. Well, it turns out the next editor, Zach Wagman, he did The Ruins. Um, and he had done, oh, he did, uh, um, what, who did Under the Skin? What's that author's name again? Oh, um, uh, I know, but I don't know. I know, but I can't remember. Is, and I was like, oh, this is great. I loved Zach Wagman. We ne we never we didn't we didn't even have one single like argument in our entire time together. Though I do think maybe we were coming from different worlds. And I don't again I don't even mean this meanly. Like he seemed to I, I you know me. I'm more like hey let's put out three books a year. He's more like hey let's spend five years you know perfecting one that kind of thing. Right. But it was it was a good it was a good relationship. Black Man Wheel. It was it was a good experience with him. But at the end of it, I did feel like there was sort of a sense of like. He's, you know, you're, you, you're going your way and I'm going to go mine. And we did pitch them um, on Barry Carroll, but it was kind of like, I feel like we already understood, like, like it's over. I just heard uh, Roy Orbison singing, it's over. It's over.
Like, like I, there was just a sense that it was over, but not in it, not in, in you know acrimonious way. It was, it was fine. So then, Kristen shopped on Barry Carroll around to numerous people, and that's when I met Delray and Trisha. Okay. Yeah, so I think because I've talked a bit on the show before with other writers, the importance of having an editor that you see eye to eye with, and you know the same. Like my first agent wanted me, kept trying to get me to rewrite a child alone with strangers and make it something that it wasn't, and I it became more and more and more increasingly uncomfortable for me. And that was one of the reasons. That was probably the reason. You know, I left. And that was my first agent. It was very scary because I was like, "Look, this isn't working out." I didn't know if I was going to get another agent. I didn't have any other leads, but I was like, "This is not working out." Because I'm, you're asking me to write a book I don't want to write, or you're asking me to make the book I'm writing something I don't want it to be. And sometimes you just have to like call it. Like, no, no, like, no I could not. It's agree scary, with but you know, it's almost like that feeling that you're describing. Like, if you have that feeling as a writer, you're right. If you feel like the notes, it's it's almost like this sense of like. Like someone broke into your house or something. It's like it's like an invasion. <laughs> it's like an invasion. Like, what are you doing in here? You're, yeah. you're supposed to give me notes and, and and leave me. You're supposed to leave notes. You're in the supposed mailbox. to be cutting the lawn, bro. What are you doing in my living room? <laughs> you're not supposed to be in my living room in my office. Yeah, and and then there was like, you know, for 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 a beginning writer, if you feel that you know someone is, as Philip just said, sort of suggesting you write the book that isn't the book you're writing. Call it, like Philip said. He's 100% right. Yeah, and maybe there's another book that does fit the mold that they want. Maybe you have another idea that would work. But ultimately, I say, you know, yeah, I'm not saying blow up your relationship every time. But, but you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes you guys aren't seeing eye to eye. And that's, a, I think that's very important with editors and with agents. I think that you got to see eye to eye because otherwise it's just going to be a constant struggle. Um, all right, dude, before I let you go, because we are out of time. I know that sounds insane, but we are. Um what writers would you recommend? This is a bit of a difficult question, I know. Uh, new writers read who you think are, who you would say are like great examples of like whatever. I know you're a big, you know, genre reader. So, what genre writers would you say are great examples of like, here's a great, here's a great example of a book that I would recommend of, of how to write a, how to write a, a novel or a short story or whatever? Well, a, a few things come to mind. I, in terms of, um, in terms of like, you know, the authors where I'm kind of like, man, how are they doing that? That would be like Dathan Auerbach with Pen Pal, yeah. Batman. Mm -hmm. That would be Ian Reed with um, Foe. And um, I'm thinking of ending things. Mm -hmm. um, there's something there. You can almost feel like the mechanics, like there's the gears like going on behind it where I'm like, man, this is, this feels like, like perfectly crafted. You know, they're, they're, those books just feel so well done to me. But I'm not, you know, I'm open to anything. I'm open to right. like the sloppiest, messiest draft in the world. And I'm open to the Swiss, uh, the Swiss watch version of horror also. So, but those two come to mind immediately. Um, I uh, just had a super interesting experience with Ross Jeffrey, where we, I've never done this before. And this is what I mean by shaking up process, where we started a book at the same time, our, our own individual books. And we were like, let's send each other every first 10,000, or I'm sorry, every 10,000 words we do, right? So that was incredible to read his book in installments and not know where it's going and send him my book in installments, not knowing where it's going. So <laughs> that, was, that was my most recent experience. And he's a, you know, a new author and that was incredible for me. But I just want to say one thing real fast. I am expanding a little because I was just on a, wrote a romance podcast called um, She Wore Black 
podcast. Okay. And at the end, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna read some romance. So she gave me a bunch of recommendations, and I just got one in the mail. I got my first romance novel ever that I've ever ordered in wow. my life in the mail, and I will report on Twitter about it immediately. <laughs> yeah, I hope there's a ripped bodice on that cover. Otherwise, no, what she told there is. She told right. me that romance is um it's determined by flames. Four or five flames means it's really hot action. Or one flame, it's not so much. So I, of course, I was like, well, well, what are the four and five ones? Interesting. <laughs> All right, yeah, I want to I want you for a report, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow those on Twitter because I. <laughs> That sounds like that sounds like a fun project, yeah. Mark, my friend. Well, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye. This has been amazing. I love the shaking up the process advice, um, and uh, thank you so much for being here. And your book, Daphne, comes out uh, October, I believe. Is that correct? September twentieth. Daphne ah. goes live September twentieth. We're doing a live theatrical reading in a gymnasium here in Michigan. Of course you are. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right, Josh. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Philip. All right. Bye. It's equal to the effort made. You once hey guys, it's Philip again. I wanted to let you know that you can buy any of the books discussed on The Dark Word at The Book House, which is Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to thebookhousemilburn.com. That's M I L L B U R N com to shop online and support small independent booksellers or visit the actual store in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors we feature here on the dark word or the book and film globe podcast. Audio Hopper.